Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode for you. Today, we interviewed Amy Majuri. She is a real estate investor that is a master at raising private capital. Throughout the episode today, we really got a masterclass or a one-on-one chat on how to raise private capital, how to network, and how to leverage your skill set for finding deals and, and putting them together and bringing other people's capital in to fund those deals. A lot of people think that when they get into real estate investing, they have to go at it alone. One, that's not the case. And then other, and then once you go along your journey, you think that you know the money, you have to be doing, raising capital for $50 million projects or $100 million projects or 60 units. It's like raising private capital is a skill set that as a real estate investor, you can develop for your, for your one-offs, for your flips, for a five unit, for a nine unit, for buying a hotel, like for every single thing, there's going to be an eventual roadblock of running out of your own money. So raising private capital is a skill that this episode breaks down exactly the roadmap that takes you through how to raise it. And the cool thing about Amy's story is that she actually had her family and her friends kind of like not um, buy in to her. Like they weren't, they didn't agree with what she did. She mentioned that she, she grew up in a culture where like she had to get a bunch of degrees and she actually has um she graduated college but she has like the lowest amount of degrees in like the whole her whole family because there was all they were all about education so the easiest thing when people think about raising capital is like oh i'm just going to go to my rich friends and family like she didn't even have that option right because her family didn't buy in so she actually got the start of going to people that she didn't know which makes her story even more impressive the where so that she was able to build it to where she did so i think it's it's one that you should listen to all the way through and take notes Step by step, we're talking about lead magnets, how to how to enter into a conversation. What's the next step? You should call somebody a week later, like all of the kind of finite details that you might need. Yeah, and Amy framed it in a way. It's like you're not asking people to lend you money and hand over their hard-earned cash without anything in return. It's you're providing them with an opportunity to grow their wealth. We talked about 401ks, IRAs, and like the traditional way of people like siphoning off their cash and putting it away and having it slowly grow within the stock market or a savings account, right? But this is this is a kind of an episode to semi-demystify the traditional ways to grow your capital, and it shows you another avenue. There's so many different ways within real estate that you can grow your own capital, grow others' capital, and you can turn it into a little a side business. So yeah. um, I really liked Amy's approach. It's step-by-step. She walked us through, as Corey mentioned, like what you say initially, second stage, third stage, fourth stage. There's like four or five different stages when you get all the way up to a deal. So I would get your pen and paper out for this one. It was a good one. She uh she doesn't like to sugarcoat anything, right? Get ready for some, you know, some harder some some uh some factual info and she'll she'll light on thick. That's a fair that's a fair point. Uh she is brash. She is definitely uh type A, so she's not gonna sugarcoat anything. Yeah. We should definitely warn you about that. It's not gonna be a super bubbly, fun, crazy episode where we're we're beating around the bush. It's really like black and white yep. A to Z, here's how to do this. But I like a good how to. So without further ado, let's bring in Amy Majeri. When you have investment properties and tenants, you need a good system in place for collecting rent to make it easy as possible. And Rent Ready can help you with everything. When you sign up for Rent Ready, you can start adding your properties, inviting tenants, and creating charges. You can even set up automatic rent reminders and create auto late fees as well. For tenants, they can pay via ACH, card, or even cash using Rent Ready's web and mobile apps. They can also use an automatic payment setup and sign up for rent reporting so they get rewarded for paying rent on time. Rent Ready saves you time and hassle by automating rent collection and you can manage everything from one dashboard. For our Weekly Juice listeners, RentReady's given us a special 50% off for any RentReady plan using our code WEEKLYJUICE at RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using the code WEEKLYJUICE. That's W-E-E-K-L-Y-J-U-I-C-E to save 50% off any RentReady plan. Amy, officially welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. Corey and I are so excited to have you on the show. As I mentioned, we listened to a few of your previous episodes on other podcasts. You have a wealth of information that we can't wait to share with our listeners, but we are so excited to get to know you a little bit. And thanks for coming on our show. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. Excited to be here today and share whatever I can to help 
everyone who's tuning in, get out there and raise money as soon as possible. Well, that sounds great to us. Music to our ears. Yep. So it's actually funny. The um, I think that can be the the basis of most of the conversation. And I think we'll probably gear it towards like a lot of people assume when they get into real estate that they need to save up 50, 60 grand, maybe even closer to 100, and then dump it into a deal, wait a couple of years, recycle that money back, and then keep pumping into deals. And a lot of people get in that flow. So I think today we should debunk that theory um, and walk through the different ways and um, systems you have in place for raising capital. But before we get there, can you give us a little background on you, who you are, where you're from, and then how you became who you are? Um, sure, absolutely. So yeah, just like many of you out there, you know, I was raised to go to school and get good grades and culturally we're Middle Eastern. It is a cultural thing where um, my family holds education at a very high standard, uh, which I don't agree with and they don't anymore. So I am the only one in the family with just an MBA. Everyone else is a doctor, lawyer, or they have their PhD. So I ended up graduating from undergrad, got a job with Dell Computers in Austin, Texas, went on to get my MBA. And um, it's crazy. Like I was there for 14 years, which I still can't believe, with an MBA grossing $87,000 a year. Like it just, it still boggles my mind. And and I know, look, to a lot of people in this country, like that's a great living, right? There's a lot we can do. It's just for me, I'm all about experiences. I don't care about materialistic things. And it just wasn't going to allow me to do the things I wanted to do. So I realized 10 years ago, 14 years into my career at Dell, that real estate was the game changer. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was an HGTV junkie. Um, I'm super competitive, grew up playing competitive sports. And so for me, I always wanted the shortcut, right? The fast track, just give me a coach and tell me what to do. And so that's what I did. I mean, I thought my dream job was going to be at Nike until I started dabbling in real estate. And I invested in a coaching program and it was cool. You know, they taught me really everything that got me to where I am today as it pertains to interviewing contractors, marketing for deals, like setting up a business the right way, right from the ground up. We we talked a little bit about, you know, raising private money. But um, my first year in, just because I knew how to raise private money, I was able to buy, renovate, and sell 10 high-end properties in downtown Chicago while still working my full-time job at Dell. So of course, I fell in love with the transformation process, um, but the earning potential was also nice. And even after some losses, I still ended up netting north of 120 that first year as a part-time investor. So then I was like, forget it. I'm going into real estate full-time. And that's when everything changed for me was in 2015. Awesome. So once you got bit by the bug and everyone that gets bit by it kind of never looks back, right? You just hope that your first deal, you don't lose too much money. We've talked to a lot of investors on the show who have lost money on their first deal and then they built it back up, but you were you had some success. So I'm curious, maybe the step after that, like the, you you know, you were able to net 120. How did you turn, let me back up. The reason why I'm asking the question is because when you work for something like Dell, somebody like Dell or in a company like that, you probably have a very structured, you know what you're going to do every day. It's, it's, it's um, a lot of hard work, but it's kind of made that you have a system to follow. When you're an entrepreneur, your life is not necessarily like that, right? You have your days can kind of go in all different directions. So I'm curious about the next step that you took and how you knew how to, where to go next and how to allocate your time to be successful that following year. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I had a lot of immediate tremendous success. I've had plenty of failures along the way, which I'm very open about, lost a bunch of money, but I've had to rebuild, put people on payment plans, liquidate all my assets. And I hustled, like I busted my butt for the first 18 months working this full-time job at Dell and pretty much working a full-time job in real estate, you know, and and we're all at different stages in life. You know, back then I was single. I didn't have a family. I had no kids. I had no responsibility. So literally I worked 24 seven um, and I sacrificed. I sacrificed. I lost girlfriends along the way. My family was upset with me. They didn't support me. Any photo you see back in 2014, 15, I'm at the dining room table with my laptop. I'm in the bathroom with my laptop. And But I didn't care because I knew that I was committed to this and I was going to be successful. And this is why I believe in coaching. Like I'm a product of coaching and I don't care. Don't sign up for my coaching program. This isn't about you coming into my coaching program. It's just find somebody, find a community that you can lean into because 
when I was dealing with all the negativity and lack of support and the people who were waiting for me to fail, friends and family members, you know, I leaned into my community. I called up my coaches and they helped me prioritize. And, and that really helped, that helped actually tremendously. But yeah, a lot of it is like, what are you willing to sacrifice? And is it really a sacrifice if you're working towards, you know, crushing your goals? Yeah, yeah. I got to here. So you mentioned a couple of things actually that jumped out to me. Um, you mentioned that you were single and in lack of responsibilities, like uh, more recently for me, I've had a, a few more responsibilities come on and became a new dad. And like, it just changes the game. And I, you know, I can speak to a parent, you know, I, obviously you're a parent now and it's crazy the amount of time you thought you had before. And now you realize even, you know, or sorry, how little time you thought you had before, but now you really have very, very finite amount of time. And so it's interesting. Like I can totally relate to having a laptop everywhere. My wife makes fun of me all the time. She's like, dude, you carry a backpack around the house. Like you don't live here. And I just always have the laptop popping it open. And I'm, it's because we're trying to build this thing. We still have our W2 jobs, but I'm bouncing room to room, just locked in all the time, whether it's you're doing everything yourself in the beginning. And that's what I want to point out. It's like the content creation, the website creation, the, um, the email templates. Like you can hire that to other people, but you still have to put your voice in, right? And put the systems right. into place. And especially in the beginning when there's not a ton of cash coming in, you're trying to harness that cash that does come in and put it in the right spot. So you mentioned something about coaching and I really like that. So Corey and I, are at, we've bounced around a couple masterminds and we're really trying to find our lane to have, we're a product of um, being athletes our whole lives, right? We've had coaches and we've mentioned this on a bunch of shows. Like you have a coach until you get into the big, you get, you have a coach in every stage of your life until you get up to actually living your life and making money. And then you're like, dude, what the heck do I do now? Like, I just have to figure this out on my own, go on YouTube, figure out. So can you maybe give us a little background on how you navigated the coaching world and found the right coach? Because there's so many masterminds out there, so many different coaches, and we're finding it hard to kind of narrow in on the right person or right group because they seem to be pretty broad. And we're, we have a lot of like very synchronized, defined lanes and, it, it, you know, trying to figure out the right person for those specific lanes. Yeah. So there were a few things I did to vet, you know, my very first coach. And a lot of it was through referrals and word of mouth and talking to people who have had success going through their coaching program. It was, I did research. Um, I looked at their credentials. They have a proven track record. They've been around for a while. Um, I verbally spoke to people who are part of that coaching program. Also, though, I just had a good, a good gut feeling. Like, that's a part of it. Um, I tell people all the time, look, if you don't like me and you're not jiving with me, connecting with me, do not come into my coaching program. That's not going to be fun for me or for you. I, you know, people coach very differently. So I spoke the same languages, the same language as my first coach. And um, and it just worked. And, you know, they were all about just follow the system, just follow the system. And I think that's why I'm so similar. I followed the system. I I saw results. So I set up my coaching program basically with a similar like foundation, a, a similar process. But there are so many people that we can invest in, right? It's just, um, what's your style? How do you learn? And, you know, I was lucky enough to to be able to actually chat with the owners of the company. Um, and that just made sure. me feel good about moving forward with their program. Yeah, absolutely. So if people are interested then, you know, in not necessarily coaching, because I, I want to talk about that later in the show, but let's talk about how, where you built your portfolio up to, right? So, and then at what point in that journey did you need to start raising capital? There's the people that are watching on YouTube that raise yeah. private money in the background, like that's your thing, raising money. There comes a point in a lot of people's investing journeys where they're like, oh, I don't have any more of my own. You know, it's it's hard to keep burring. It's hard to keep recycling. I need to go the, the raising money route. Talk about this, where your portfolio is at and then at what point in the journey you had to say, oh, all right, it is time for me to try to use other people's money. So I've been doing this for 10 years, right? So my portfolio is very diverse. I've done a little bit of everything on the commercial side, the residential side. You know, between my husband and I, we are part owners in over $500 million worth of commercial real estate. We've flipped low-end, middle-income, luxury properties, new builds, wholesaled, all that stuff. Um, dabbled a little bit into multifamily syndications. When I first started out, I quickly realized my passion was flipping properties. And that was the majority of what I did for the first several years. Um, 
And I'll share a very quick story, which was my very first project was also my very first mistake, right? Mistake, lesson learned, whatever you want to call it. Because as you guys mentioned earlier, there's so much going on as a brand new real estate investor, right? You're building your team, you're learning like how to get deals and all this stuff. I hadn't prioritized and I was too naive to recognize that raising private money is very critical to our success, even as a brand new real estate investor. So the two things we never stop doing, I don't care if you're new or not, is raise money and look for deals simultaneously. We do not wait until we have a deal to start raising private money. So I ended up buying a property in downtown Chicago and I structured it with hard money. And that's fine. You guys go work with hard money lenders. There are a lot of restric restrictions now that we can talk about later if you would like. So hard money covered, you know, I don't know, 75% of the deal. There's no hard money lender out there who's going to cover 100%. I don't care what you say. They're not. If, if they say they are, there's a loophole or something. So I had to get out there and I had to come up with like 40 or 50 grand in private money. Well, I hadn't prioritized that skill set yet. I happened to have 50 grand sitting in my account. I scrounged up everything I had and I put my own money into that deal. Well, this was a quick flip. I ended up profiting, I don't remember, around $20,000 in just four months. And people hear that story and they're like, why is that a mistake? You made money. Well, because three weeks after we closed, I had two rental properties. They were turnkey rental properties come across my desk. Each of them were cash flowing $300. I, I didn't have the money out of pocket to put down as the down payment. So I missed out on that opportunity. Now, let's talk about two things here. Number one, is $600 a month going to retire us? No, but that's one example of one missed opportunity, right? And then to others who are listening, thinking, well, you're the private money queen. You could have just gone out there and raised private money. Yeah, sure, I do now. But again, back then, I didn't prioritize that part of my business. And so there are so many strategies. And what, what I decided to do 10 years ago after that, after that first lesson learned was forget about it. I'm going to take any money that I have and use it to build my passive income. So I'm going to go buy turnkey rentals. I'm going to park it passively to a commercial syndication, or I'm going to lend it out to other credible investors. I'm diversifying in real estate. And then with all my flips or transactional funding for wholesale deals, I'm going to use other people's money. That way we're making an infinite return. So I use my own money to build my passive income. That's how I have used Real estate is my vehicle to achieving financial freedom, right? So nice. you don't have to do that. It's just what I chose to do. No, I like it. And I appreciate the different buckets too. I think we'll eventually get to the point where we will start lending money out too. I don't know that it'll be immediate, but I, I love that. It's just, a, it's another income stream, right? I see people doing this all the time and we need it for current deals. We're going to start offering it to people to say, hey, listen, like we have this deal. We're finding that we have more deals come through than, than not. And then we're lacking the funds, right? Which is a great problem to have. It's just like, to your point, we're at that stage in our journey where we're like, whoa, we need to master the the raising private money in terms to not only benefit others, right? Because giving them an extension saying, hey, listen, we, you can grow your money with us, but also it's going to help us get more deals under our belt. So my question for you is, can you take us through some of your strategies for raising private money? You are the queen. And I mentioned we heard you on a couple other episodes of podcasts and I just really like your system. It's, it's pretty straightforward, but um, I don't want to give every single thing away because I know you have the... Um, the event coming up here on November 4th and 5th. So people will learn a lot there. And uh, I just think it'll be nice to tease it a little bit. Maybe talk about your four, four second power pitch and maybe some steps along the way that people, they don't even realize they can raise money in their everyday lives. Yeah, there's so much. Um, and I'll share a few with you guys and everyone listening, you know, but, but the biggest thing is it starts with mindset, right? So I'm not going to try to convince anyone there are so many people out there who are like, oh, I'm just going to use my own money or I don't have any experience. No one's going to lend me money or I feel bad asking this person to lend me 100000 Stop. Stop feeling bad. No one's doing you a favor by lending you $100,000. We, we really have to understand why are we raising money, what's in it for us, and what's in it for our private money lenders. So I really believe that we're the ones providing them with an amazing opportunity to invest, right? So they're not getting double-digit returns backed by real estate at the bank or the stock market. And if they are, I'd call their bluff. I'd kindly call their bluff. And then I'd be like, great, then don't invest with me. If you're making 20% in the stock market, then you should stay there as I get passive aggressive. But it's all about, you know, it's like, number one is mindset. Number two is nobody needs to depend on their friends and family members. I'm very stubborn. Of course, I use that lack of support and that negativity 
as my momentum to prove my friends and family members wrong. And that's how I came up with all these creative trust and rapport building strategies. So what's cool about the way I teach is I'm never going to tell you to launch a direct mail campaign. You're never going to sit behind a desk and cold call a bunch of high net worth individuals. It's just how do we integrate these creative trust and rapport building strategies into our day-to-day lifestyle. So I show you how to leverage off your existing network, who to target, who not to target, what to say, what not to say when you leave your house. So it's not even like you're time blocking. You're just changing your perception like every day of your life moving forward. Um, right. And it, it really begins with, you know, you mentioned earlier my four second power pitch. So I'll break that down into a quick lesson. So my 14 second, my four second power pitch is 13 words, which is I show people how to earn double digit returns backed by real estate. Here's how I used it. And I'll show those of you who are listening how you can use it as well, whether you're new or experienced. So when I got started investing in real estate and I was working my full-time job at Dell, I just chose never to talk about Dell. I didn't care if it would have risked me getting fired. I didn't care. So when I would come across new people and they would say, hey, Amy, it's so nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? Instead of saying, oh, I work for Dell and I hate my job and I'm trying to pursue my dream job at Nike, I would just go right into that four-second power pitch in a very breezy and casual way. For those of you who are experienced real estate investors, we don't want to disregard that. You know, So you guys could say something along the lines of, hey, we've grown a short-term rental portfolio, for example, you know, in Phoenix, Arizona. And we show people how to earn double-digit returns backed by real estate. So you want those 13 words to be your call to action. Um, for those of you um, who are newer, don't ever say, oh, I don't have any experience. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, just talk about your goals. Hey, we're currently on target to complete three transactions. You may not know what those transactions are, what your investment strategy is, so keep it high level. Currently on target to complete three transactions over the next 12 months, and we show people how to earn double-digit returns back by real estate. Everyone's going to be like, what do you mean? Tell me more. And you're not going to have the answers, right? So that's when you're like, Hey, look, I want to be respectful of your time. If you're serious, no problem. This is why coaching is so important. Just give me your number. I'll give you a call next week. I want to be respectful of your time. You're here with your friends. I'm here with my family. I'll give you a call next week. I'll break it down for you. And then you just call up your coaches or go into your community Facebook group and be like, oh my God, guys, this person wants to know more. What do I say and what do I do? Right? So, um, but that's, that's really step one for the rest of your life is my four second power pitch. Totally. Yeah, I think, you brought up a good point there, and and the numbers, Amy, are obviously really important for somebody to to invest a hundred grand or two hundred grand or four hundred grand, whatever it is. Like the numbers of the deal have to make sense, right? But I found more and more as we get as we built this is that people have trusted Ryan and I as we know that you guys are going to hustle and do what it takes to get us our money. Right. We trust you, right? We we we're buying into you as people. The deal's awesome. This makes sense. But they have every realization that the deal might not work out, but we will figure out a way to make sure that those people are made whole. And that, and I think that that's really potentially what you're saying by being so confident in that power pitch. It's like, you're not talking about the deal. You're talking about you. Like, this is what I do. So if people learn, know, like, and trust you and they're willing to, to follow in your footsteps, I think it's really that I want to invest in Amy. I'm not necessarily yeah. worried as much about the specific deal Although the deal obviously has to make sense for me to put dollars into it. Yeah. And you bring up a lot of good points too. And this is why to the newbies out there, your experience does not matter. It's your team of experts. It's your general contractor, your realtor, your designer, your architect, your stager, your operator, right? If you're in multifamily. So these are the things you highlight as, as one of your many credibility pieces. But yeah, I mean, as you guys get out there, you know, your social media is another credibility piece. And to Corey's point, when people invest in your business, it's because they're investing in you as a person. So everything that I still do was under Amy Majuri. I never talk about my LLCs. No, you don't need an LLC to start raising money to anyone who's wondering. But look, this is why you have to know how to answer the hard questions. You know, how, you have to know how to contractually structure this stuff because private money lenders will ask you, are you going to guarantee this? Which no, you can't, can't guarantee anything legally. What happens if the deal goes south? What contracts do you use? What happens if you die? What if you can't sell? as expected. What happens if your general contractor takes off or you go over budget, all these things, right? So, um, and absolutely, I will tell my private money lenders, not on day one, but look, worst case scenario, you have to be okay never seeing your $100,000 again. I can't guarantee you anything. 
However, the probability of that happening is not likely because of all these controls I put into place, right? My team of experts, my deal analyzer, my target market, my buying criteria, how we buy our um, supplies, the wholesale pricing, so on and so forth. And this works for any investment strategy. It doesn't matter for those of you listening, if you're a flipper or a wholesaler, a multifamily syndicator, or you want to go buy a you know, commercial retail building, um, buy turnkey rentals, short-term rentals, midterm, it doesn't matter. We all need private money. And this is how we grow and scale. Of course, to your point, Corey, that's going to determine what we can offer. We can't offer a 12% annualized return on a turnkey rental. Those numbers just don't make sense. So that's going to be more like a 6% annualized return with monthly interest only payments. So there's so many ways that you can like divide and conquer. But the one of the biggest mistakes I see is number one, people can't answer the hard question. So they put their own money in the deal first to try to prove themselves. Or if they don't have their own money, they just never get started. And number two, they don't have, they don't know how to contract contractually structure the deals and answer the hard questions. Um, you know, so you have to know why you're doing this. So let's ask this. How do you answer the hard questions? And how do you, is it like going through the coaching program or is it linking up with your, let's just say if you're raising money for an operator, right? And the deal, you didn't underwrite the deal specifically yourself and you're in partnership because you mentioned that before for multifamily. So I'm curious, like how would you then answer the hard questions without having to pass people on? Okay, so let's use you guys in an example. Like I know in, in the past you have partnered with, You've done syndications, right? Where you partner with an operator and then you guys get out there and raise the money, right? So what you can do if you if you haven't structured it this way in the past is your role is you're the capital partner. You just focus on raising the money. When you get your hands on the money and you capture the interest of someone, yeah, you have to be able to speak about the deal at a very high level. You don't need to get into the weeds. You don't need to understand your 15-page analysis of the deal. That's when you pull in your operator and you're like, hey, you don't say this is who I'm raising money for. Here's my team member who's focused on the financial portion of our deal. If you're serious about investing, then I'd be more than happy to schedule a three-way Zoom and my partner can take you through all the numbers. That's yep. one way of doing it. Or you just get on with your partner, do a recorded Zoom where they ha where you have them take you through all the numbers, and then you share that recorded Zoom with your private money lender. But again, yeah. it's not on day one or day two. There was a time and a place for when we start taking our private money lenders through those numbers. Sure. And I, I actually want, I was leading you there because I wanted to talk about this. There's, you can't, essentially within syndications, right? You can't just be a capital raiser. You have to have a specific role that you're getting paid for within the deal. So and yeah. I wanted to say that's important. Like you still have to know the answer to the questions. And you also have to, you're, you're part of, if you're a GP, you're part of the asset management team, right? So- with that, maybe your investor relations, maybe you're handling all the marketing, exactly. maybe all the communication that goes out via email, put the charts together, make it look pretty. Everyone has a specific role. And I think that is a good point. It's to lean on your teammates, right? You're, this whole thing is not a one-man show or one-woman show. There's a bunch of very, I, I would say, like-minded like people, but everybody has their own role. Maybe there's someone in underwriting, someone in marketing, someone that's a pro project manager, right? The asset manager that works with the property manager. So it's important to know all the different roles at a decently high level so you can answer the questions because then you do get to the point where you're like, okay, this is, it's cumbersome to link people in and bring them into conversations right. when somebody just wants the answers right off the rip. So um, I think that also helps to have a coaching program or, or like a mastermind of people that are all answering the same questions and, and are just so comfortable with it because then when you get two, three deals in, you know how to answer these questions. If you're in your Uber, if you're, or you're walking around, right. people want to know it. So just important to know I, you no one wants you don't want to get caught with your pants down we can't answer a pretty basic question about the deal you know what i mean if the person you're talking to whether you know them or not senses any sort of timidness or uncertainty in your voice you've lost that person as a private money lender they're not going to invest with you yeah so one of the things that we've learned about you by doing some research amy is that and you also mentioned it earlier in the show is that you had friends and family who didn't buy into your to what you were doing and weren't supportive so a lot of people that we've talked to that get into capital raising, their first thing that they say is, go to your friends and family. You know more right. people than you think that have money, right? And you actually did it, reverse engineered it, which I find very interesting because you did the hard part first. So you learned the hardest way possible to raise capital prior to maybe when people saw you being successful, those people might've come back around and said, oh, Amy, I actually do, I am seeing what you're doing. I do want to invest with you. So my question is, how did you pitch people 
that you've never met before in the beginning or even to to this day? Yeah. What was your approach with them when it wasn't like, hey, aunt or hey, uncle, like, I know you like me already. What was how what was that like for you? It's so crazy, you guys, because even now, 10 years in, people are still like, does this really work? Like one of my best girlfriends, I'm like, girl, I don't have time for this anymore. So <laughs> she's she really your best girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't don't talk about work. Yeah, but yeah. um, okay, so there are a couple ways you can go. Like, let's say there are people listening today who they, you know, they don't want to target their friends and family members for whatever reason, but they know that they have access to capital. By the way, there are like 10 different ways, you guys, that people can invest with us, it's not just cash collecting dust. So what you can do is basically like market to them at 90 degrees, which is, hey, sister, I have a private money meeting. I want to practice, you know, my 10 minute pitch deck on you really quickly so that you're just practicing with your friends and family, but really you're educating them as well. Um, that's something I teach. That's something that I never did. I never did that because I was so stubborn and greedy. And so what I had to do was it started with that four second power pitch. I was living in downtown Chicago. I was always on public transportation, getting into Ubers. I was at airports, on airplanes, at the grocery store. So like we'll use Uber, for example, when I would get into the Uber, I had to calculate. I had to like practice this. It was very calculated. Um, if my Uber driver wasn't talking and asking me what I did for a living, I would just ask him or her hey, what do you do outside of Uber instead of assuming that's just what they do so that the law of reciprocity, right, would find its way back to me and they would ask me what I did. I'd go into that four-second power pitch. Um, I picked one night a week, not a month. I have so many investors who come to me. They're like, Amy, you would be so proud of me. I did my monthly networking and I went to my local RIA and I'm like, that's great, but that's not networking. And who cares about your RIA? That's not where you're going to get results. So every Thursday night, I would go to a high ticket fundraising event, a black tie event by myself. It was weird, but I did it. Um, I would go sit at Tavern on Rush in downtown Chicago, where 95% of the people who came were businessmen and women with money. I would sit at the bar in my gym clothes on a Thursday night, order my pineapple martini and cheese pizza. I did not care about getting dolled up. And as people would approach me, the minute I would open up my mouth, because of my knowledge and education, I had that confidence, right? They knew that like, I wasn't there to pick someone up. I was just there to enjoy my alone time, but talk business. So it's like literally planting seeds with that four second power pitch. I'd invest $600, go to the Chicago auto show. I don't care about cars, but start thinking about how you can put yourself into environments where there are people with money. Go to meetup, do a key term search on entrepreneurs. These are all strategies, you guys, that I teach inside of my coaching program. I don't care if it's the food and beverage industry, the gaming industry, the tech industry. Every entrepreneur has had to raise money. And some of them are going to be assholes and they're not going to want to help you, right? But others will or they'll know somebody. So always end every single conversation with a request for a referral. Okay, cool. Thanks. Do you know of anyone else who'd like to earn double-digit returns backed by real estate? Yeah, I like that a lot. And it's it's not promising anything. You're, you're toting the line there. You're showing them how to make double-digit returns in real estate, right? So you're almost like an edu educating a little bit too. Can you take us to the next step, right? Because I think it's, I think it's abundantly clear. Like you got to weave this into your everyday vocabulary. You get yeah. on the hook, but we're also now we're at the point where everyone asks us about real estate. Hey, see yeah. you guys are doing blah blah blah. So we're like, okay, to take it to the next level. How do you get people that are interested to actually invest in the deals? How do you present your opportunities to them, and then take it to the next step to get them to invest with you, take down deals, or maybe offer them to be a private money lender for like a flip or, you know, there's so many different avenues here. I'm just curious on the next evolution outside of step one. So I'll give you the next three steps. So step one for the rest of your life is my four second power pitch. You use it with anyone and everyone. Step two is as you get those yeses from the four second power pitch, yeah, cool. I'd like to learn more. Like I don't have money, but I know someone who may, or I do have money. I, I would like to know more. Step two is you get on a 15 minute Zoom. Unless they're local, you go do a 15 minute coffee talk. I don't care how much you like the person. 15 minutes, actually, no, my bad, it's 30. You only speak for 15 minutes. You schedule a 30-minute Zoom because you want to learn about the person you're talking to, right? Um, and then in 15 minutes, you take them through at a super high level your general private money presentation. All the, This is not even numbers and deal analyzers. Nobody cares about that right now. It's just who are you and what are you doing? What's in it for us? So why do we leverage OPM? What's in it for you as the private money lender? And then what's the call to action? So 
my approach, it's always super high level and breezy. So I take them through this, you know, four point private money presentation. And then at the end, I'm like, you know, so that's just a very high level of who I am and what I do. And if you liked what you heard today and you want to know more, cool. If not, no pressure. And I just remain silent. It's always no pressure, no pressure, no pressure. So that's step two. Step three is a week later, I call the person, right? So I call them and I say, hey, I just wanted to thank you again um, for your time and see if you had any follow-up questions on the general private money presentation. Um, they're going to say yes or no. And then you're going to say, okay, great. What I normally do now, assuming they're interested and they will be, is I have a six-page list of frequently asked questions. Because even though you may not have questions right now, you may have questions that come up tomorrow. And I don't want to annoy you with constant phone calls. I say, I just say that. So I'm going to email you my six-page list of FAQs. It covers 98% of any question that any prospective private money lender has. And um, read through that. Let me know you have questions. If not, um, cool. And if you want to know more, great. If not, no pressure. And then that's it. And then a week later, I call them and it's like the same thing. You want to know more, if not, no pressure. And then I take them through the next next credibility piece. Now that can go in 15 different ways because I have over 20 different credibility pieces depending on who you're talking to. But when you say credibility piece, are you talking about like which specific deals you might have coming up and you can plug them in or are you talking uh, about? No. So maybe one credibility piece is your deal analyzer. Maybe another is your org chart. Maybe another is your buying criteria. Um, I have a presentation where I just use it um, with leveraging retirement accounts, people who have money in their self-directed 401k or Roth IRA. Um, we have different presentations for people from Wall Street, investment bankers, people who are very investor savvy, where we talk about like what a healthy investor financial statement looks like. So um, we have very different credibility pieces pitch decks, marketing content, workbooks, flyers, depending on who your audience is and depending on what your investment strategy is, your contracts can be a credibility piece, right? So we use anywhere from three to seven different contracts, depending on how we structure the deal. So I want to go back to something that you said, and by the way, that's great information. So thank you so much. Um, mm -hmm. But about going to these networking events alone and almost not dressing up the part. And I think this is intriguing to me because I think that's so not, I don't want to use the word reverse psychology in a way, but it's for, for some part of my brain goes to, I'm more interested in somebody that's sitting alone, that's not trying to impress somebody right. that is confident that's there by themselves than somebody who's like the life of the party and right. who's, who's clearly putting on an act. So I think that's actually really good advice for people to listen to, like go to these events, be yourself, be confident. Now you don't necessarily need to like, look like a schlub right but like right. no one's going to trust you but the point is is just be yourself and i think you'll have more people interested in hey that's funny ain't this person they don't know who you are yet is here by themselves they're just enjoying their night they're having alone time and that that exudes confidence rather than trying to fit in with the rest of the crowd so i think that's pretty yeah and like don't go straight to the ask and a lot of it is like look just i always say just be a normal person i can give you a hundred scripts i have a hundred scripts i I work with a lot of introverts. There are a lot of introverts inside of my coaching program, extroverts as well. And it's like, even the scripts I give you, they don't sound scripted because of the way I like articulated it. At the end of the day, this is why having a solid foundation is very important. You have to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you have to be able to answer the hard questions. This is all a part of building your foundation. And then we start to get creative um, and connect with people all, all at all sorts of, an, of events. And a lot of it is just when you're at an event, again, don't talk about you or real estate. Like what brings you here today? How can I help you? Um, are you in the business alone? Do you have a business partner? Where's your family based out of? It's just, there's a um, rapport and trust building strategy my husband, Sean, teaches inside of our coaching program called G-Ford. Um, he just added a G to actually Ford, which is a very common rapport and trust building strategy. If you Google it, the Ford methodology. So we call it G4, starting with geography, family, occupation, recreation, then dreams, right? And it's just like you take people through G4 as a part of building your foundation, then naturally they're going to be like, so how can I help you? What are you doing? What are you looking for? Why are you here today? Right? And then it's like the four second power pitch. Yeah. he Sean took us through uh, G4 in our episode that we did with him <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And it was great because we're, we're sales guys. We've worked in sales our whole lives pretty much and our whole professional lives. 
And it's interesting. We didn't learn it. And I thought it was very basic stuff, but it, they call it something different, right? You're just trying to connect yeah. with the person that uh, you're working a product up for. But I want to also make sure I mention this throughout the episode. Like, this is not deception tactics. Like, the the reason we're talking about all this, all these things, there's roadmaps and tactics to go here because it's hard to talk about money with people because some people are so guarded from that, whether it's a cultural thing, the way they were raised, the people that they're around, like they're just taught to keep it private and not talk about it. But if you continue doing the same thing you've always done, you're not going to know that there's different tactics out there to grow your wealth. You're going to be taught to use your 401k, your IRA, you put your, you have your savings account. It's the traditional ways, right? Like we're learning like the upper echelon as we elevate our lives here. There's so many different ways to grow your capital and we're getting into like this whole new world, right? And it's really interesting to try to educate people and like break those barriers. Like, listen, like this isn't just to benefit me. It'll it'll help us take down more deals. But the real the benefit here is like I'm offering you a way to grow your money backed by real estate, a hard tangible asset. It's just different than what you've been taught in school. So here you have to educate really and then also build trust at the same time and show that you have a track record of doing so to know that they're they're confident going with you in order to, you know, their their um their money is protected, if you will. They want to make sure they get it, at least get it back and then grow some. So I think it's important to talk about people always think about sales and they think like used car salesmen and all that. Like it's it's not that at all. It's there's there's tactics to this because people are so guarded with the conversation. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people, I mean, you're hundred percent right. The number one reason why everyone in this country does not act as a private money lender, assuming they're in a position to do so, is because they're simply not educated on the process, right? So it's our job through our credibility pieces, through all the controls we put in place to educate them. And and once they understand what's in it for them and what's in it for us, they will eventually invest in or introduce us to their network. Sure. So now we graduated past the the credibility piece. They're bought in. They're like, okay, listen, like one of the pieces did did the trick and they're like, listen, they resonated with it, right? And now it's, okay, do you present them with a deal? And then from presenting them a deal, how do you nurture and continue this relationship? Because it's not, a big mistake people make is once they get people into a deal or they have them as a private money lender, like, they're like, cool, I did my job. And that is far from the truth. Like it's, it's building a long-term relationship with these people for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. So what I do and what I teach inside of my coaching program is I don't get to the deal or the numbers until at least the fifth meeting, unless the person has done this before. And they're like, look, I get it. Just show me the numbers. So, and even when that happens, I will say, Hey, look, no problem. Um, but just so you know, I do have almost 20 different credibility pieces that I use to build rapport and trust with my private money lenders. So at any point, if you want me to go back and take you through some of those, I would be more than happy to do so. But absolutely, we can schedule a follow-up call and I'd be more than happy to take you through the numbers at a very high level. Everything is super high level. You're not downloading a, an 80-page CMA. You're not going through every detail of like your target market analysis. One of my credibility pieces is a one-page deal analyzer. That's it. Um, that takes into account every single cost variable. So that's something that like, it, you know, meeting five or six, I'll take my private money lenders through and I show them every single holding cost, my renovation cost, my buffers, my utilities, taxes, like closing cost, you know, realtor commissions, all that stuff that goes into it, including my projected net profit. And sometimes my projected net profit is 20 grand. Sometimes it's 150 grand, but I never hide that from them because when they see those numbers, all it does is continue to build their confidence, right? And yeah. what we're doing. So um, it's it's usually on the fifth or sixth touch point that I'll take them through the numbers. Yeah. Cool. And then just real quick, yeah, yeah. the last stage, right? So you eventually, you get to that, you take them through the numbers, they jump into a deal with you. And then let's talk about continuing the relationship. Like how do you- Yeah, the follow-up system. Yeah, right. Um, I'll take them to the numbers. I'll take them to the contracts. Before I talk about the follow-up system, for those you know, investors who are listening, they're like, but I don't have a deal analyzer. I've never done this before. Well, don't even think about raising money if you don't know how to analyze a deal. So forget about it. Then you're not ready to start raising money. We all need to start raising money yesterday, but this is why you have to know how to analyze a deal based upon your investment strategy, because that is one of your credibility pieces. And what you can do is say, hey, who? don't worry, PML, even though I've never done this before, here's my team of experts, and here's how I analyze deals. 
this is my property analysis template. And every time I do a deal, it goes through this template. So you may not have an active deal, but you can still educate them on your buying criteria. Now, the follow-up system, it is not a text and it is not an email. That is a part of it, but there's so much that goes into nurturing your network once you've converted a private money lender because we want to focus on three things once they've invested with us. Number one, how do we get them to reinvest? Number two, how do we get them to increase their investment amount? And then number three, how do we get them to introduce us to their network? And by the way, there are so many ways where um, legally we can generate finder's fees this is something our securities attorney will like coach our community on is how do we generate finder's fees? Because at some point, like you guys are going to have more money coming in than you need. So how can you introduce your trusted private money lenders to other credible real estate investors? And if you're not getting equity in the deal, then get a finder fee on it. So now we're generating multiple streams of income. So there are things that I have like my top 10 where um, once a quarter I will call my top 10 private money lenders. Now, top 10 may not necessarily mean deep pockets. It may be somebody who is influential um, and has connections. But once a quarter, I call them and I don't even talk about work. Hey, Frank, how's it going? What have you been up to? How's the family? Like, that's it. Um, maybe a part of it is you roll out a VIP treatment. Like, so for Sean and I, we have, we always refer to it as like the Ritz-Carlton red carpet treatment. So for our high rolling, you know, private money lenders with deep pockets or those who are very influential, we will offer to fly them out. We will cover their costs. Come check out the property. We'll record a bunch of social media content. We'll say, hey, this is just as much um, your project as it is ours because without you, this wouldn't be happening. Uh, take them out to dinner, wine and dine them and just introduce them to our team. Um, and we do this also, by the way, before they ever invest. That's another credibility piece is I'll get my general contractor on the call, my realtor, my designer, my architect, wherever they're sensing uncertainty. And this is normally going to happen um, more so for like the newer real estate investors out there. Um, this is just a strategy you can do is get your general contractor on the phone. But um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into your follow-up system. A newsletter is a part of it. It sounds, you know, there's one guy who was like... Um, I don't understand why you teach this. This is like a no brainer. Like this is all stuff that um, we should be doing anyways. I'm like, you just said it like you should be, but are you? No. And he was like a 60 year old man who he, he actually, he enrolled into our coaching program and um, he was super excited. He came in through a referral and then like a month in, he was like, you know, I'm very disappointed. This is not what I thought it was going to be because everything you teach is just how to network. And I said, okay, Rick, then Let's go through a couple of the examples. I can see right because I can see where people log in and log out and where they, you know, don't do the training. You've been through module one, which is nothing. So um, have you implemented these strategies? And he goes, No. I'm like, okay, then don't sit here and tell me it's a no-brainer. Because these aren't like hard strategies. They're just strategies we don't think of. And we don't do them. So that's why they're so powerful. It's like I I show you all the opportunities we're missing out on, and then I hold you accountable and I make you do it. I think that's the most important thing that you said right there is two words that jumped out is action and accountability. There's everything is actually much more simple than people think, but in order to weave that into your busy life, that you have so many different things fired at you on an everyday basis, that's where the tricky part comes in. You're like, okay, I can build out a system, can make it sound like me, but to actually implement it and do it and be held accountable and not be lazy with it. That's the hard part. So I think that's why when people spend dollars within a mastermind or a coaching program, it's the giving away the dollars and you want to yeah. reap that back. So that's kind of part of the accountability piece. It's like, I, hey, listen, if I don't follow this course, I know Amy's going to be looking at me like, dude, you're a bozo. You can't do the most basic thing. All I do is have modules for you to click play on, listen to them. And then you take it on your, in your life to implement these strategies. So um, I, I like that you called them back on it. And it's funny that like, even with some of the most basic um, newsletters we'll receive in, in an email, right? There's a couple of people that we, we subscribe to, right? Some of the information is so basic, but it's a nice refresher. Like, oh, I didn't yeah. think about that. And then if you're, you're constantly reminded of this stuff, you can actually implement it. Where think about like our attention span these days, two seconds and social media. Right. Oh, not interested in this video. Scroll, scroll, scroll. So sometimes basic is better. We found a lot of people... They don't care about the in-depth things unless they're like a high achiever or they want to get, they're super advanced. So um, good point to bring that up. But I think people probably think they spend 10,000 bucks, 20,000 bucks, and they're going to get this crazy like rocket scientist course. But a lot of times it's just the accountability piece and making sure you're following through and taking action. So 
Cool. So I'm curious, Amy. You, I mean, I can tell by talking to you, you have a lot going through your head. You're you're organized. You have you know a, a lot of um, things to be proud of. But I'm curious if you have one trait or habit that you've developed. It doesn't have to be now. It could have been in the past. Is there one trait or habit that has helped you either systematize or just become better in your in the business world that you might want to share with other people that are listening? Like for real estate investing in general? Yeah. Yeah. Real estate business for networking. Is there any sort of something that jumps out at you that's made a big impact on your business or your personal growth? Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of, I'm not going to harp on getting a coach. So after getting a coach, I would say it is, I feel like in order to be a good business owner, we have to experience everything ourselves. So it's doing everything ourselves, wearing all the hats, like you guys said earlier, and then creating a system for it. So there's a book that really influenced me 10 years ago, which my coach recommended to me, which is The E-Myth, um, written by Michael Gerber. And that's what he talks about. He's, he's like, you're going to wear all the hats. You're going to be the technician. You're going to do it all yourself. But just take it. It's baby steps. Every time you basically master a skill set, create a system for it so you don't ever have to worry about it again. And then we can start to outsource that. So it's like we need help, right? But we can't hire help, even virtual assistants, until we know what we're doing. So it's like, just do it, learn it, figure it out for the next month, and then systematize it. Um, so that really helped me in the beginning 10 years ago. Good advice. I got one for you too. So um, say you were stripped of everything today, started back at zero. How would you dig yourself out of the hole or not really a hole, right? You're at even. How would you build yourself back up to where you are today or even better? So that's exactly what happened to me. So in 2017, that was the worst year of my life. I'm very transparent about it. I lost $1.4 million. People hear the story. They're like, oh, that's just like LLC money. No, it was my money. It was my private money lenders. I had to liquidate everything. I had to liquidate my 401k. I had to sell all my rental properties. Um, I had to put private money lenders on payment plans. And I vividly remember, I still get goosebumps. One of my hard money lenders calling me at the time. And he said, man, so what? I'm so sorry what are you going to do now? And I didn't even understand the question. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, clearly you're exiting the industry. Are you going to go back to Dell? And not once did I ever think about leaving real estate. It's just how do we shift our strategy? And the way we shift our strategy and dig ourselves out of a hole is continue to do more deals, right? So it was because of my ability to raise private money that I moved from the luxury high-end properties in downtown Chicago to the low to middle income properties. I started raising money for other people. I became people's capital partners. I generated finders fees um, because every day of 2017, I was burnt down 2017 and 20, 2018. I was still doing deals, just smaller deals, and I had more money coming in than I needed. So I'm getting finders fees. I'm becoming people's capital partners. As I problem solved and put people on payment plans, I hustled, I brokered deals. Um, but it's all because of my ability to raise private money that I was able to dig myself out of that hole. There's one person, this is a different person, who three years ago when he found out I started a private money coaching program and he was one of my private money lenders. Um, and I don't remember the exact number, but like at the time he'd invested like, I don't know, maybe 120,000. And he got back, mind you, all of these people made an investment, right? I didn't have to pay anyone back legally and contractually. But I did because it was the right thing to do. And that's why I put people on payment plans. And he'd received back like, I don't know, maybe 103,000 of his 120. And he's like, I cannot believe, still till this day, he never got back that 17,000. Um, he goes, I cannot believe you started a private money coaching program. This is very unethical. And I was like, look, sir, what does one have to do with the other? Just because I lost money and it was the perfect storm. It's not like I took the money and ran. I did everything I could to pay everyone back. Like, why should I not help other people grow and scale their real estate business? Because I know how to raise capital. Like that has nothing to do with me losing a bunch of money. So and plus, yeah, on that. Sorry. No, no. As you explained the story too, I'm curious, like you said, it all came crashing down. Was this all due to like poor underwriting on a deal or just like what happened? Yeah, that was a part of it. Um, So it was like the perfect storm. It was three things. Number one, I had shifted into a market in Chicago's North side that no other investor was going to because they didn't know how to raise money. So I'm buying distressed properties that are six and $700,000 distressed. I was like, who cares? I'm forcing enough appreciation because I'm basically tearing it down and I can raise the money. So I'll tap into that market. So as soon as I started buying in that market, 
everybody else started to follow me at the exact same time. And at the time I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I set a trend. So that's number one. That little pocket became saturated. Number two is I was too naive to realize per my deal analyzer back then I would only do a deal if the net ROI was 15% or more. Well, these are multi-million dollar single family homes. My net ROI was 7%, maybe 8%. But I'm looking at the dollar amount and it's like 150,000, 175,000. Like, whoa, that's a lot of money. So I would do the deal. But that was a mistake because I didn't realize that a 7%, 8% ROI on a $2 million house, one change order can wipe that all out, right? So I should have stuck to my 15% minimum. Um, and then number three, my I because I grew too fast, I ended up hiring a second general contractor. I I guess I hold myself accountable for not vetting him properly. I don't know what else I could have done. He was an a-hole. He didn't know what he was doing. So out of the 1.4, I ended up having to hire another GC to fix 400,000 of his mistakes. Took him to court, got a judgment for 400,000. All I did was dissolve his LLC. Um, and so that delayed our time to market, right? So now all my properties are hitting the market 18 months in instead of 12 months in. My holding cost is 10,000 a year. It's hitting the market in the middle of Christmas. So it's like all these things that are happening. Um, so I just had to keep doing a price drop. I never got foreclosed on. I just had to keep price dropping until they would sell. I think it's important to share these things though, right? Like every everyone always talks about the, and they're probably like thinking like, oh man, like she went through a lot. She's, you know, there's so many different things that perfect storm, right? That just didn't go right. I think your ability to weather them and also like not, you changed course, but you didn't abandon ship. You know what I mean? You you stayed in the game. You made people whole. You put them on payment plans. You didn't have to, right? It's an investment. People knew what they're signing up for. It could work. It couldn't work. Um, and I think it's important to share. So thanks for that. A lot of people just talk the glitz and glam and they won't tell how they, they made it to zero. So clearly your story is, you know, 2017, 2018, you went down 1.4, 1.7, I forget what it was. And then you climbed yourself back to even, and then even now you're, you know, back to pre, pre 2017, yeah. right? Or way better probably, I assume. Yeah. So I know we could talk for a long time here. I know you have a, a another commitment coming up. I do want to talk about your real estate, uh, raising private money event in live in Austin, Texas, November 4th and 5th. Um, can you just talk about what that event's about? And if people are listening and they're interested, they um, how they can find out more about it? Yeah, it's going to be a pretty cool event. This is our third conference. And when we do a conference, we don't just let um, anyone who wants to attend, attend. We cap our attendees to 200 people because the conferences that we host for private money, it's super hyper-focused on solving the money problem. And it's an action implementation event where we don't just go to this event and take a bunch of notes and throw them in a drawer that we're never going to read again. You actually are there with your computers, your phones. Sean and I are on stage coaching you. People from my coaching program are there coaching you step-by-step um, step, holding your hand every step of the way. Like your phones will ring. Um, and it's funny because we have so many recordings of attendees in the past where their phones are ringing. They're like, oh my God, I literally just raised 50 grand. Or this one guy raised a million dollars. Um, so it's an implementation event. And then what's cool about day two is I have a bunch of expert investor guest speakers who I'm flying in, um, you know, Rob Abasola, Vina Jetty, Mark Kohler, so many others, Amanda DJ Fernelli, um, our securities attorney, Nick McGrew, who are going to come in and talk to, to everyone about, hey, now that you are starting to learn how to raise private money, here are the different ways you can deploy it. Here are all the different investment strategies. Here are the legal do's and don'ts. Um, and it's cool because our speakers stick around all weekend. Zasha Smith from Hawaii is flying all the way in to talk to us about building our social media presence with private money. And so like, and everyone is um, somebody that you can talk to. Like our speakers aren't hiding in the green room. I'm not going to be in the AV booth the entire time. So it's a really cool networking event where you see results and build really special relationships as well. Well, this has been awesome, Amy. We really appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, sharing the, the good, the bad, the ugly. I think that's what really builds that rapport with people. So we appreciate you being so transparent. If people want to learn more about you, uh, your story, network with you, maybe invest with you, what's the best way for people to get in touch? Yeah, everything, including access to our event is on Instagram. So it's just connect with me on Instagram at Amy Majori or on LinkedIn, Amy Majori. And I actually do respond to all my DMs. I always say, just don't be weird and I will answer all your questions. Um, just give me a couple of days and um, that's the best way to connect with me. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Amy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. 
Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.